So today we're continuing in the story of Jonah. This is our second week now as we work through the life of Jonah, the story of Jonah. And in Jonah chapter 2, we find Jonah inside of a fish. But if you weren't here last week, let let me recap real quick. Uh, The running prophet, I I mentioned as we look at the story of Jonah, this is going to be a real quick summary. Two minutes. Don't tune out on me, okay? Stay with me here for a minute. But we're going to, when we look at the story of Jonah, we're we're not looking at as as some parable story. We're looking at it as as a true historical story. I believe that's what Jesus taught in the scriptures, and I believe that's what it really is. There was a prophet by the name of Jonah. God called him to go to Assyria, the capital of Assyria, to a place called by the name of Nineveh. Jonah had no mercy in his heart for the people of Nineveh, which we'll actually see here in about two weeks in chapter 4. But instead of following God, he turns and goes as far away from God, at least that's what he thinks, as far away from what God has told him to do as he possibly can. And he runs to a place by the name of Tarshish. He wanted to escape the presence of God, which we know is impossible. God brings a storm of supernatural proportions to the ship to the point where even those sailors who had spent time on the sea were terrified. They knew this storm threatened their lives. Jonah confesses to all aboard the ship that it's his fault. He's running from God. He has to be thrown overboard. They throw him overboard eventually. The sailors make sacrifices to the one true God. And we're left with the end of Jonah chapter 1 that Jonah is swallowed by a great fish. Now, I have to grab the the clicker here to keep keep us together. But that's where we are today. So if you brought your Bible with you, would you turn to Jonah chapter 2 this morning? Uh, if you didn't bring your Bible with you, will be on the screen. Jonah chapter 2. All except for the first and the last verse of Jonah chapter 2 occur while Jonah is in this great fish. There is some debate about maybe this prayer happened after, but the scripture I believe is very clear to us today. But before we read verse 1, would you pray with me? God, we ask that you would clarify this text to us today. Open our eyes and our ears, Father, to, uh, to what you have for us. May truth be spoken, may truth be heard, may truth be understood. And may you receive all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Look at verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. Well, we know where this prayer came from, right? From the belly of the fish. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Now look at, look at verse 1. This, is, this has the f- first two verses together. But the very beginning. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. His God. See, the Lord was still Jonah's God. Even though Jonah ran the other way. The Lord was still Jonah's God. Even though Jonah made a really bad decision. And a really bad choice. God doesn't abandon you. In your bad decisions. He might allow for consequences to be difficult. He might allow for consequences to come. To try and get your attention. To put you on the right path. But he never stops being your God. He never stops being the God. 
It also gives us a little bit of an understanding of where Jonah's heart is at at this moment. At the moment of prayer. That the Lord is his God. In his heart. That something has changed between this fleeing from God, hoping to escape the presence, and chapter 2 where he's praying to his God. Now there's no place in chapter 2 where, where Jonah actually comes out and says, Alright God, I'm sorry. I was stupid. I, I, was, I was proud. I tried to run the other way. I thought I could outrun you. There, there's no place that we find that in Jonah chapter 2. But we do see where Jonah says, listen, I, I'm going to do what you tell me to do. It seems to me that Jonah was a little stubborn. Maybe like some of us. What we see in verse 2 is very similar to Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. I call to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me out of the belly of show. Or similarly, out of the depths. Out of the lowest part in life that I could possibly find myself. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. Jonah finds himself in a difficult place. I guarantee you that none of you have ever been swallowed by a fish before. If you're playing a game where you're trying to get people to, you're trying to have done something that no one else has ever done, Jonah wins, hands down. Swallowed by a fish. Think about that with me for a moment. And, we're, and, he, and he describes it a little bit later here in chapter 2. But he was literally in the depths of the sea. The lowest he could go. Running away from God. Trying to flee from the presence of the Lord. Throw me overboard. Maybe he said throw me overboard. We talked about this last week. I'm done with it. I'm done with life. Throw me overboard. I'll die. It's easier. I don't have to go and show mercy to the people that I hate. Can't get any worse than this, right? How many times have we said that before? And there comes the fish. <laughs> but Jonah is, is literally in the depths of life. Some think that maybe this word, uh, using the word shoal, would actually point towards Jonah actually dying, but I, I don't think that's what we see here. And said that he is literally as low as he could go. He's hit rock bottom. And he cries out to God to hear him. On Wednesday, the hearts of many, if not the overwhelming majority of Americans, hurt, I believe. Whether your concern is the disunity that exists in the country, if you're concerned over election integrity, or concerned of watching the violence happening at the Capitol, evil seems to be running rampant across this nation. This is something that's been happening for many years now, and I think it's fair to say this country is in the depths. The spiritual depths. I've wondered before, how, how much lower can we go? How much more evil does the Lord have to see happening in this country? A lack of morality, a lack of trust, a lack of justice, a lack of love, a lack of righteousness. And I make these statements, and depending on what your own ideologies are, your own perspective, everything that's, that's going on, you're hearing this one way or hearing it another. I think it's fair to say this nation is in the depths. It's not a four-year thing or an eight-year thing. This has been going on for a long, long time. So what now? I truly believe that it's not until one reaches the depths where revival happens. 
It's not until you've went as low as you can possibly go to where revival happens. Think of the prodigal son. As he runs away from his father, it's, it's not when his money runs out that he first turns and goes back. It's, it's not when things get a little... He, he's, he's eating with pigs. There's no much lower. He, he's starving. And he says, I, I got to go home. I, I, I need transformation in my life. So, some, something's got to change. Look at Jonah. I know I, I can run from God. I know how powerful God is. I'm a prophet. He told me. I heard God himself tell me. But I think for some reason I can run away. Now, Jonah thought that death maybe. What's his way out? And God said, no, 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 Jonah. I have a greater purpose for you. You are now in the depths. And we'll get to how God's consequence for him is actually Jonah's salvation. But could we see revival ahead? I think as a church, we have to be praying for that. That hearts would change. That mercy would be shown. That, that, that love would be shown. And that the perspective of people, government and citizens alike, would turn to the one true God. Because there's only one from which salvation truly comes. The heart of the Lord is that none would perish. Right? That's what the Bible says. That none would perish. And so we have to pray that God would bring revival. Oftentimes when you look in scripture, revival doesn't come before some very difficult times. But yet we pray. And we pray and we pray. Darkness doesn't win. Darkness never wins. God wins. I heard uh, there's, a, there's a guy and he was singing a version of Give Thanks and I, I can't remember his name. But uh, I, I love the line. Sarah and I would listen to it as we drive and he'd say, the fight's fixed. The fight's fixed. I already know who wins. Go tell your friends. The fight's fixed. God wins in the end. And we believe that and we hold to that, and we pray. And, and I think so, some people have looked at everything that's been going on, and let's, let's go back a number of months now into the summer, and all of the difficulties that we have, we have observed happen in this nation. It's, and you look at it, and you say, man, this is, this is a dark time. Would you agree with me if I say that? Say amen if you agree with me. It was dark, just a dark time, right? Did I wonder... Actually, I know that the darker things get around us, the brighter you have the opportunity to shine. And I realize we're straying a little bit away from Jonah right now, but, but there were just a couple things that happened this week that brought me to this. And, I, and I, I remember going to Bolivia, and I remember going to my grandparents' house up in the mountains where there is no light pollution, and going out into the jungle where there is no light pollution, and, and looking at the stars in the sky. They shine brighter than any other place you'd ever see them. Why? Because it's darker than any other place that you can go. There's no light pollution. That, that is the star in the sky shining bright. And if we are the light of the world, realize this. The darker that things get, the brighter you have a chance to shine for the Lord. The brighter you have an opportunity to point people to Jesus. May that be our testimony. That this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. And Satan's not going to blow it out. But in a place of utmost difficulty and discouragement, in the depths of life, Jonah cries out to the God who doesn't abandon him. Even though Jonah tried so hard to flee from his presence, Jonah says, I cried out from the utmost steps, and you heard me.
Verse 3, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. L look at this, this verse right here. And, and Jonah recognizes, he confesses the sovereignty of the Almighty God, the one true God. For you cast me into the deep, into the hearts of the seas, and the flood surrounded me, and all your waves and your billows passed over me. But at the very beginning, you cast me into the deep. Didn't Jonah ask to be thrown overboard? Right? Isn't that what happens in, in chapter 1? Didn't Jonah say, listen guys, guys, throw me overboard. But here what Jonah recognizes, Jonah recognizes and confesses, is that this was all a part of what God's doing to get his attention. Did God throw Jonah over the boat? Was Jonah lifted up and thrown into the water? It was God who led him there because of his disobedience. What was he trying to get at? Is that Jonah realized that you can't run from God? And it was God trying to get his attention. Lord, you brought me here. My decisions, you, you've worked all of these things. You, you brought me here. You are the sovereign God. Proverbs 16, 9, the heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his step. See, Jonah had a first-class, one-way ticket to Tarshish. Didn't smell very nice, wasn't very comfortable. It was a little rocky. That was his plan. That was his way. But the Lord had something else in store. The Lord had called Jonah to something greater. Sometimes that happens in our lives. You have your plan set up, what you think should happen, where you think something should go, and, and God says, well, wait, wait a minute, no, I, I've actually been trying to get you over here. You're just being too stubborn to go here. And I'm, I'm the first one to confess that. The heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his step. May it always be God's will that guides our path. Jonah had laid his plan out, the plan to go against what God had for him. He made his decisions, he bought his passage to Tarsage, and now seeing how God works to complete his plan, basically Jonah says, Lord, I made these decisions, and in the difficult and the, the wrong decisions I made, you made your plan come to fruition. God knew what Jonah would decide. And he even used Jonah's part decisions, poor decisions as a part of his greater plan. Look at verse 4. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. In chapter 1, we're, we're reminded, Jonah says multiple times that he's trying to flee from the presence of God. That was his desire, right? <laughs> it wasn't just to run away from Nineveh, but he, he wanted to flee from the presence of God. Yet inside of this fish... He says, I'm, I'm driven away from your sight. But he has faith in the difficulty. Faith that one day he will again look upon the holy temple. Oftentimes when we think of the story of Jonah, at least uh, if you watch Veggie Tales, the big fish comes and swallows Jonah, basically after Jonah gets in the water, right? I think that's what we see in a lot of children's books. Yep, was that the case? Was Jonah thrown overboard? And, and as the waves are slowly settling, this huge fish comes up out of the water and swallows him. Well, that's not what Jonah tells us in verse 5. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land. 
whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought me up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Jonah's thrown into the water. And before that fish comes and swallows him, he has quite a toss and turn underneath. To the point where seaweed wraps around him. He, the, the, the statement, like my life was fainting away, uh, the lack of oxygen, being ready to pass out. That's the picture that we get as he's tossed and turned in the water. A violent, I mean, imagine the water's with the storm. He's thrown overboard. And he cries out to God. <coughs> Excuse me. A miraculous statement in Jonah chapter 2 is, is where he says that I went down to the roots of the mountains. It, it wasn't until recently that people discovered there actually are mountains in the bottom of the water. Verse 8. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. The King James says, they that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. There are many things in this world and there are many who put their trust in many things outside of God. Who give tribute to other things. <clears throat> who worship money, celebrities, politicians, ideologies, political parties, lifestyles, sin, sports, work, outdoor activities, hunting and fishing, other things like that. Hear me. People actually worship those things. And the way you live your life says whether or not you worship those things. Not that you have an idol to... Uh, to a specific fishing, to a Rapala fishing company and, and you go and bow down before it and pay your tribute. But there are people that worship fishing. There are people that worship hunting. We've seen it. There are people that worship politicians and celebrities. Yet if, if you pay your regard to vain idols, <laughs> you're missing out. I grew up in, in Bolivia, right? And in, in Bolivia, uh, there are people that would, would go and take uh, sacrifices to the tombs of their ancestors. Or uh, as you drive along the side of the road, you'd see crosses or, or little, um, uh, almost like altars that were built in honor of them. And, and they, would, they would take their food and they would go and they would place it down at the place where their loved one died or where their loved one was buried or where the memorial is, thinking that the spirits would actually come and be pleased with that and would eat the food. Right? Now their dog had a really good meal that day. Right? And the food would disappear. But they were missing. They were missing. They were missing. See, idols can't show you mercy. They can't show you grace. They can't save you. Because they don't exist. There is only one God. There is only one God. And to worship anything else is God. You're missing out. Verse 9. But I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Nowhere in chapter 2 do we see Jonah say, Lord, I'm sorry. I made a mistake. I shouldn't have done this. You know, I'm a knucklehead. But in verse 9... We see, he says, listen, I, with thanksgiving, I come to you and I sacrifice to you. And, and I, there must, there's a time where he vowed to do what the Lord wanted him to do. And I'll do that. Salvation belongs to the Lord. 
In the most desperate situation, Jonah realizes that his only salvation belongs to God, to God alone, because there's only one God. Something else happened within the past week. On Sunday, the 117th Congress met and closed with prayer. Uh, the prayer garnered much attention um, for a statement that the representative, who's an ordained minister by one of the most well-known denominations across the world, closed his prayer with the following statement, a man and a woman. Maybe you heard about it. Maybe you watched it. It was very interesting. I'd watched it Sunday night, and by Monday, I had multiple people saying, did you see this? And then you have all the jokes that are going around too, right? Like, uh, yeah, I won't even get into them. But a man and a woman. I'll be honest, and we're not, it takes a lot to surprise me with the government these days. Um, that surprised me. I'm just going to say that. That's something I never would have thought of. A woman has nothing to do with the statement, amen. You can, you can look it up. You can do your own research, but we're not even going to get into the stupidity and the absurdity of that statement because what was said before those three words was much more troubling, yet it went unnoticed by many people. I listened to the, the prayer of the representative again and again, and I went back a couple seconds, and I listened again and again, and I finally went online to find a transcript because I was having trouble making out exactly what was being said. And what was said was, in the name of the monotheistic God, and I kept listening over and over and over again, trying to figure out what, what came after that. It was basically in the name of the monotheistic God, Brahma, and the God known by many names by many different faiths. Amen and a woman. And amen and a woman caught everybody's attention. But the statement before that went unnoticed by many. Hear me today, I'm not taking spiritual direction from a prayer at Congress. Yet many, 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 many people listen to that. Especially to the end of the prayer. In which an ordained minister of a well-known denomination prays in the name of false gods. Brahma is the Hindu god, the god with four, three heads and four arms. Why, why does this matter? Why, why am I bringing this up today? Jonah finishes, salvation belongs to the Lord. Who's the Lord? It matters because there's no middle ground on these issues. There's one God. And there's one name under which men can be saved. There's only one supernatural being who hears your prayers. It isn't Brahma. Remember the story of Elijah in 1 Kings 18 where the prophets of Baal were crying out to Baal and Elijah mocks them. He can't even hear you. Maybe he's on a vacation. Maybe he's going to the bathroom. He can't hear you because he doesn't exist. Acts 4, 11 and 12 says... This Jesus is a stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I remember having a conversation with someone once that worked in a church. And he said to me, you know, Tony, I believe in Jesus as the way to get to heaven. But I also believe there are other ways. And there are other people who are going to find their way there. You know, and, but not necessarily through Jesus. And I'll tell you that. If you believe that statement, you don't believe this book. Because the Bible is so clear. There's only one way. There's only one Lord. There's only one God. And that's the God that brings salvation. There is no one else. It should never be pretended by, by any minister. By any believer. 
that there is someone else to pray to because there isn't. That's just wasted air. There is one name by which men are saved. Jonah once again recognizes God's greatness through his prayer. He understands that it's only by God's power and grace that he has been granted salvation. He has been given another chance. The God of second chances gives the running prophet who deliberately disobeyed him and ran another way. God gives him another chance because that's our God. A God that demonstrates mercy where mercy shouldn't be shown. Think about that with me for a moment. I think sometimes we think that we are deserved of mercy. We're not. Yet, the God who provides salvation shows mercy and grace to love even to the vilest of sinners. Verse 10, And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon dry land. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your great power. Thank you for your sovereignty, for hoping in you. We thank you for your mercy and your grace and your redemption. Father, we pray that you would be glorified in everything that we say and do. And we, Father, we pray, we, we do pray for our nation, Lord. We pray that you would bring healing. Lord, that you would uh, help our leaders to seek you. That you would bring revival in this place. Lord, help us as the church to do our job. To be faithful. To point people to you. To shine brighter the darker it gets. We have the opportunity to do that through Jesus. Work through us, Lord. Father, until the time, if that time comes, when we see revival in this land, we wait for it. But Lord, we, we don't wait idly. Lord, give us courage to go and proclaim the name of the true God. Give us courage to speak truth in darkness. In Jesus' name.